0: I, uh, I you just I remember feel... who we're waiting on yeah the uh, prosecution's here <laughs> hey
1: I'm, I'm the defence so I'm me yeah a... where's your where's your team mate <laughs> which <Where's yours? laughs> mine's explained at least mine's arriving hey mine's guys, arriving. guys 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 <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav.
2: Alex. I'm
1: Dave. And I'm Austin. And as this episode you're listening to right now is released on February the 14th, we thought that we would kickstart our latest season, a nice rom com season. So we're putting the classic 90s rom com Clueless on trial. Is it like totally James Bond and stilettos? Or is it, like, totally Hagsville? Uh, if you don't know which one of them is the bad one. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm afraid. Well, watch Clueless then, Dave. I've watched it. I still don't understand. <laughs> Essentially, we're going to find out if this film will be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list. Now, before we go on to the trial, our last film on trial was Don't Look Up, which Joel judged and deemed that it should be placed on the shit list. Now, I don't know if he's gone away and watched this. I don't know if he liked it or not. I don't know if he thinks that he made the right call. He hasn't bothered pitching up today or telling us... (laughs) giving us any information. Do, so go, go you know on. what we
3: saw. You know I saw Joel recently, and he did talk about climate change, and he did mention this film. So I think, in 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 and of <laughs> itself, just to get Joel talking about the issues, I think is uh, yeah. I think I think that shows something.
1: Are sure he just wasn't talking about the big CGI explosion at the end of it? <laughs> <laughs> so so just as a group consensus, do we think that Joel made the right call on this one? No. Nah. Um, Very quick Gav, do you? No, no, I don't either (laughs) No, but, you know, at the end of the day it's the argument that's put forward to him and he's made his decision from that and I think that the arguments that the prosecution did have were justified and, yeah, but, you know (laughs) on the whole, I do think it was a very good film (laughs) Anyway (laughs) Moving on (laughs) now on to the trial all of the roles haven't been picked out of the hat at random because as i said before we're doing a new season and all of the films have been picked by us ourselves so this week it's austin's turn and austin has picked clueless and he has also picked all of the roles so austin is just like alicia silverstone's character Cher horowitz he's a kind fashion conscious and generous person who drives like a fucking maniac. <laughs> and joining him in defense is me, a man who is just like Justin Walker's character, Christian. I love chocolates, disco dancing, and Barbara Streisand. And whether given the option to have sex or watch Tony Curtis movies, uh, <laughs> sorry to my wife, I might choose the latter. <laughs> and uh, acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list is a man who is just like Paul Rudd's character Josh in that he's a real Baldwin. <laughs> realise <laughs> I not that go ex- any further <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> I realise that expression is vastly different now than it was in 1995 <laughs> now just like real court advocates the defence and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles these may or may not be their genuine opinions though so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear what they really thought now, this week, in the role of the judge, the guy who has to decide which list this film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to them and not using their own opinion, is Alex, who is just like Brittany Murphy's character, Ty Frazier. He's recently undergone a makeover, but needs to keep up the aerobics if he wants to maintain those buns of steel. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to say anything, Alex, but, you know, the other night I, I did give him a squeeze. I know and you they, noticed. Yeah, they felt, they felt a little bit droopy. <laughs> <laughs> get on the Jane Fonda, man. Uh, now, before we, <laughs> before we get started, I think that we should probably give the audience a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. And this week, oh, it's not landed on Dane for once. (laughs) It's very, very close. It has landed on Austin. So what we do here is we ask somebody to read out the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. This week, obviously, it's landed on Austin. How would we like Austin to read out the synopsis? I mean, it's got to be... Surely, Californian the, the entitled 90s teenager right <laughs> yeah yeah go on, go on Austin, Austin give us your best valley gale impression
2: so like shallow rich and socially successful Cher is at the top of her Beverly Hills high School's pecking scale seeing herself as a matchmaker Sure first coaxes two teachers into dating each other I think I picked the wrong tagline
1: no, that's it. That's
2: it. I know what you mean. It's, it just seems to just end there, doesn't it? <laughs> no, that's very, very good, that's it. Very good. Very good.
1: It's probably the best one I've done ever. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna deny that. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: always the ones you least expect, isn't it? That actually turn still, out all right. I think my favorite impression is
1: just your cowboys only De veto I, I, <laughs> I still love that one. Thank you very much, Justin. And without further hesitation, Alex, would you like to please kick off proceedings?
3: I would. Clueless. Big film to put on trial. Looking forward to this one. Just going to go straight, shoot this straight over to the defence. So uh, can I put it over to Gav, who's making a weird little... Finger and, foot
1: and thumb gesture there. I don't know what I, that, that means. That was, I'm having a small one. I've got a small introduction oh, got That's what I was small. trying to say. Okay. <laughs> I've got something small to give you, is what I was trying okay. to say.
3: I'm going to time you and see how small this is, Gav. Okay. Ready?
1: Go. Just giving you a very, very short overview of the film 1995, coming of age teen comedy. The plot follows the popular and rich Cher Horowitz and her high school friends. Cher befriends a new student named Ty and, feeling sorry for her, decides to give her a makeover to help her become more popular. And even though she is genuinely trying to be nice, she doesn't realize that she's being controlling and doing what she thinks is best and not necessarily what's in the best interests of Ty. So Cher's mum has passed away and she lives with their lawyer dad who is remarried and then since divorced. His former stepson, Josh, who's played by Paul Rudd, who is a socially conscious law student, comes to stay initially as a vacation and then to help Mr Horowitz with his big legal case Cher realizes that she's in love with Josh and tries to make genuine, albeit awkward attempts to live a more selfless life in order to impress him. And although this was initially a way of making Josh fall for her, she realizes that it's something that she genuinely wants to do and something that makes her feel good about herself and makes her happy. She then helps Ty to realize this too, and that it's not just about being popular, it's about being comfortable and happy with yourself that counts. Cher and Josh get together, everybody's happy, roll credits. Great. I mean, Dave, it's, it sounds
3: fucking brilliant. What's not with that, Dave?
0: Oh, it doesn't exactly sound brilliant, does it? I mean, it's, uh, uh, that, that is that is essentially what happens. though. I can't dispute that bit. Um, yeah, this isn't, you, you think of Clueless, and it is arguably one of the most iconic films of the 1990s. Unfortunately, it remains stuck in the 1990s. I think that's the big thing that, we, that we've got to take away from this. Now, it's an adaptation of Emma, the Jane Austen novel. Uh, well, a very loose adaptation anyway, you know, and on paper, it seems to work. Having the idea of uh, Emma Woodhouse, who's this character who's, you know, uh, from a fairly wealthy family, quite well-to-do, uh, intelligent but never applies herself, uh, obsessed with social climbing and meddling in other people's lives, finds herself as a bit of a matchmaker. This lends itself to a high school student so well. You know, this is a, this is a pretty good way of adapting a Jane Austen novel. But the problem is, is that it's stuck in 1995 when the film was made. The language, the fashion, every joke in the film practically is so dated now. And at the time, I'm sure it was revolutionary and it was a big deal for teenagers to see this. But teenagers is all, the only uh, group this film is gonna appeal to. And those teenagers have now grown up and probably don't look at Clueless with the same fondness that they had when they were younger and impressionable. Teenagers that are coming up through the ranks now, are not gonna look at this film because it is so dated and it is so trapped in its decade and trapped in that date. It's practically a period piece itself now because it is just firmly settled in the 1990s. Everything about it, every reference, every every bit of the soundtrack. You know, some things you look back on with some nostalgia. You know, a lot of people like, like cheesy 80s action films there's not the same sort of appeal for 90s rom-coms, I wouldn't say. Certainly not high school coming-of-age drama ones. There weren't that many of them. You know, I think they had their day in the 80s, and then they kind of petered out in the 90s with the exception of this one. And this is the film that brought them back. But the other ones thought further ahead, and I think made themselves a little more accessible later down the line. Whereas this one has kind of been left behind, and with good reason. And it's not the, the viewer's fault that it has been left behind it is just very regimented and very stuck in the 1990s it is dated and there's not much you can do to to get it out of that
3: ozzy i mean it's stuck in the 90s it was good at the time but we've moved on uh, like why why would we go back to the 90s ozzy
2: i think that we've had similar arguments for this in the past and and this this film epitomizes some of those same films which have ended up on the the hit list in in that same vein as that yes it is dated and it, and it really is it does epitomize the 90s i think it is not only did it you know is it stuck in the 90s it is the 90s and i think for that reason alone it is a fantastic film is that it defined and you know an entire generation of teenagers at the time and i think it's still you know it's it's still referenced for um phrases like as if None of it. Nobody said as if until after this film. There's a whole host of uh, fashion that came from this, and the whole sort of skater type, stoner type thing was all played upon within this film, and and it really did. It just it was set uh, set up a scene. It was like on the surface everything is quite one dimensional, but it's just a really great way to have brought uh, you know a, a, a classic novel. To to an, another audience, you know, you would, it's, she's done such a good job of capturing Emma w- into this version. I don't think you even noticed, you know, because the that it's a Jane Austen novel to, to, to have been played with. For me, this, this is the 90s, you know, bowing out, out from the music. Mighty Mighty Bostones are uh, the band at the, at the dance, you know, the, it's, it's everything about the 90s wrapped up in a film. Even down to, you know, it still has influence on my fashion taste now. Hmm. Like literally wearing the same jacket she's wearing. Aussie, I think <laughs> everything,
3: <laughs> everything seems to have influenced your fashion. It's so eclectic,
0: Aussie, that I don't think. Yeah, I'm really... yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh... not sure how much, how much credence to put. Yeah, we're getting a bit <laughs> of uh, Cher Horowitz
2: <laughs> meets Andy Warhol. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, it, it's genuinely, I think it's a. Um, it, it, what Dave's saying is right. I'm just going to say it in a slightly different tone of voice. It's a, <laughs> it is. It is the nineties, right? Uh, bringing
3: you, Gav, in. Just uh, you know, I'm sure you have got your own point to say. One little thing is, you know, especially especially these days, you know, films have, you know, we've come on quite a long way. We've progressed quite a lot in a short space of time. And the nineties, maybe, you know, when you're saying stuff dated,
1: are we still talking about maybe attitudes and jokes still here, Gav? And then whatever you want to say. Uh, so, for firstly, just coming back on, on what Dave said, I don't think there's anything wrong with it being set in a particular time, or you know, uh, it would be hard for like a, a rom com that's set in specific time and place to not be dated almost 30 years later. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's great establishing a time and a place you know where you are, you feel comfortable in that setting. And people want to keep on returning that for that sense of nostalgia. Look at John Hughes films like Ferris Bueller or Breakfast Club. They are the epitome of the 1980s and they're still incredibly popular because they've got that sense of nostalgia. People want to go back and revisit it and remember a time when they maybe either lived there or they first watched that film. And look at... The 1990s, they're coming back now and you look at all the fashion and the music. 1990s are now more popular than ever. So Clueless is probably more popular than ever now than it's ever been. And and um, I think that this film is actually quite progressive. I, I, it's it's, uh, it's it's an odd one because I think there's a lot more depth here than than you originally think. On, on the surface, just looking at this as purely a rom-com, I think that it's very brilliant. It's got all the ingredients for a perfect rom-com. Charismatic and engaging lead, handsome and charming love interest, funny dialogue and sequences, great performances, script, and as Ozzy said, music, fashion, it's all there. But as I said, there's so much depth, and even though it was created in 1995, I I still think that it's not only still really funny and culturally relevant, even though it might be a little bit dated, it's also quite progressive for its time as well. On one hand, it's like a satire of white, wealthy America. But on the other hand, it's also this cultural phenomenon which created fashion trends, spawned catchphrases, as Ozzy said, with like, as if, and opened the door to a world and culture that millions of people have aspired for ever since. You know, how many people look and dress like the characters in Clueless to this day? It's amazing. The film, as Dave said, originally started, I think, as as its as TV script by writer-director Amy Heckling. And it was originally developed to make fun of the in-crowd, but it just became more fleshed out over time. And, and as Dave said before, it became like a loose reimagining of a modern day Beverly Hills retelling of Jane Austen's Emma. And although the, uh, the script was picked up by Fox, they wanted it to be rewritten to feature fewer women. But heckling stood their ground, and then the script was bought by Paramount, and the rest is history. You know, th- this could have been... This sneering swipe at nineties youth culture and or Beverly Hills socialites, but the film is about it's 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 able to essentially have its cake and eat it. I know that Dave loves to say that about films not being good, but I think it actually achieves this because (laughs) I know because it draws out the nuances of its characters. It says that people can be spoilt or selfish at times, and they can have flaws, but they can also be kind and compassionate as well. The tone is one of optimism and positivity. This is a film that features strong female leads, and they have these really nuanced characters. It's a really enjoyable, engaging, and and this is, this is important for me, happy film. And as a result, this has really stood the test of time. And although Dave says it might be dated, it will probably forever be regarded as one of the best Team cons of all time. Dave, this film goes out to a shop, buys a cake, mm-hmm. takes it home,
3: mm-hmm. eats the cake, and afterwards still has a cake. Dave, like yeah. <laughs> it's, man- it's <laughs> it managed the impossible. Sense, does it? It's managed sense. the absolutely impossible. <laughs> That You know, Gav's saying, what's wrong with nostalgia, Dave? We all like nostalgia. And, you know, it does seem, you know, a big thing there that I, it got me was that this just film makes you happy. It's just a happy film that is going to make me happy watching it. Uh, did it not make you happy,
0: Dave? No, not at all. No. There's a reason why. This film, this film can't <laughs> eat its cake. I'll tell you why, because
1: this film should have been called Toothless. Instead of (laughs) flueless. Toothless people can still eat cake, Dave. They just have to mush it into a paste. A tiramisu, Dave. But But no no one wants to watch it, Gav.
0: No one wants to watch. (laughs) Uh, I mean, Gav mentioned a point that I want to come back on. He said it started off as a satire of of white, wealthy America. As a satirical Mm. film, I think this kind of falls flat. You know, Heather's It Ain't. Heathers has been there before this and it did it better and it made a a much more impact. You know, it may have started out with the kind of satirical element, but by the end of it, what you've got is is quite a bland pedestrian teenage comedy that doesn't really go anywhere. A teenage romance, I should say, uh, that doesn't really go anywhere further than that. You know, any satirical elements that may have started out when writing the script have kind of fallen flat after that. Yeah, and Aussie says this to find that this is the 90s. Yeah, come on, it's not Nirvana, is it? You know, it's not the <laughs> sound of the 90s. Uh, and I, as well, I don't have a problem with something being set in a particular time. You know, that's that's any period film, that's any historical film. There's being set in a time and then there's being trapped in it and not being able to get out of it. And not and people not being able to see through that. You know, this film is well and truly trapped in the 90s as opposed to setting it. And I think that's why it, it, it's so hard for people to relate to now. And why I think although there's that nostalgia element and we who grew up in the 90s might look back at it with a certain fondness, I don't think this film is going to be garnering any new fans. It doesn't have that timeless quality that I think a film like this needs to have. Teenagers grow up. If you're going to make a film directed at them, you've got to make it accessible. Well, you can't you can't predict what's going to happen. You know, that's not the fault of the the writer, director. You know, you can't predict what teenagers are going to want to see. You're not going to be able to predict what fashions are going to change and what trends are going to come along. But there needs to be something at the core that is relatable. And I'm afraid Clueless missed out on that. No one's fault. It's just looking back at it. It was great for its time, very successful at its time, but falls flat, unfortunately, now. And and the problem, the real problem is, at the end of the day, we're going to get into characters, I'm sure, in a bit. The problem is that Cher Horowitz is just not that likable a character. You know, much as Emma is in Jane Austen's novel, she is spoiled. She is entitled, you know, she, she's perfect for, for a Beverly Hills brat in, in L.A., but it doesn't make her a character you want to root for. It's not a character whose journey you necessarily want to be on and that you necessarily want to see them succeed at the end of it. It's a problematic character, and I think they do their best with it, and I think Alicia Silverstone plays her pretty well, actually, but it's just the core character itself of Cher Horowitz isn't someone you can get behind, and she is your protagonist. You should be able to get behind her and root for her.
3: OK, that is a, a big problem with characters. Just, just before we go on to characters, Dave was talking about it's not relatable and it's bland and pedestrian. It's not really something that we can look at now. Like one of the things I would have thought that would be quite relatable would be the romance element to it. So, you know, this is our sort of romance Valentine's season. So why don't we just focus on that a bit? And Ozzy, could you just tell us a bit about is this film going to get me in the feels? Do you know what I mean? Is it is it you know, is it a love? Is it a good love story?
2: Yeah, it's, not only is it a good love story, it's it's a happy love story, and there are several uh, relationships within the film for you to to get behind. You know, and 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 just a very quick one on what Dave was saying about you can't get behind share the main character. Is that you can? She she means well, but is flawed and 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 knows it. You know, she's she's a, a character with her heart in the right place, but not always. You know, she's doing the right things or the, the wrong things for the right reasons. You know, she's someone who you can you can get behind, uh, and you know, I've got a few bits on it being timeless, but not the question you asked. In terms of um, the romance, I think a romance genuinely is uh, it, it, it's funny. You know, it's not um, it's it's cheesy in the 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 right way, <clears throat> if that makes sense. You know, because it it, it it keeps it on the light side. It's um you know, you start with the the relatively obvious uh share and. And Josh, you know, you can you can see it coming. I mean, I, I feel like I, I could see it coming because I'd seen the film before. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, no. Often people have seen things before. And I'd be a that, bit worried if you, been, if you if if you'd, you'd been surprised
3: been, by it, Aussie. I would have been a little bit worried for you. Yeah. <laughs> Nostradamus
2: so, hasn't got
0: anything to worry about. Has
3: <laughs> <it>? <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, it, it, what, what's good about it is it? it gets um, it's rooted in friendship. You know, is the is the thing about that that romance there is it's it starts off as just almost a a playful friendship which they then realize is actually something more than that because they've they've grown together during the period of the film you know she's grown and he's he's seen the effort she's making and realizes as well that that he, he loves her you know and it's it's a nice touch but throughout the the film as well you see the growth of ty so she's came to a place. She was a t- certain type of girl. She gets changed into somebody else. She goes into a relationship with one guy, and you see that teenage lust for someone for that you're after, that that you think you want, and then the heartbreak that hits her, and then you know, and it's all played up and you know, really send it up and ham it up, and the way teenagers do, and then by the end of it, she's almost come full circle back to the. Like a, a growth a, a grown up version of the girl she was when she joined the school originally. Back with the original boy that you kind of
1: knew straight mm-hmm. away that that's who she would have, she should have been with. Gav. No, it was, it was just to come come back on on Dave's point. I mean, I'll probably go into more detail about why I think she is a likable character, uh, but. I think that this is is a very good portrayal of teenage life at a certain point in time. I think that just because it's not set in 2021 or, you know, it's not like, I don't know, Riverdale or Sabrina or whatever... It, it doesn't mean that... I'm just guessing that they're teen programs that teens watch <laughs> what these we, days. What are, the, what are <laughs> the kids into these days? Yeah, what
0: are the kids... So what
3: are they
1: spoilers, like? we, we don't know what we're talking about here, guys. <laughs> no, no. No. Well, Just because it's not made in 2021 doesn't mean that it's not still entertaining and enjoyable or relatable as well. You know, people love films like Grease and Daydancing, and The Breakfast Club. They all show teenage life at different points in time. And the, these films are all still incredibly popular. Uh, go on, Alex.
3: Well, especially, I mean, that's
1: the, the love element seems
3: to run through all of those as well. As, that seems to be the thing that...
1: Exactly. And, and the together. love within this is a classic t- a love story. You know, uh, it's it's one that has been told many times before, but it's got a fresh take here because of, you know, the time and the place in which it's set. The love between her and what would probably be weird if it wasn't played by two brilliant actors and the script mm. was good. Are you sure? Are you sure it's not weird? Uh, uh, the normal love between a woman and her stepbrother. Uh, told
3: wow. There we go. And at this point, I'd like to bring the prosecution in. Dave, <laughs> anything to a...
0: say on that point? Yes, this is exactly where I was leading with this. This is exactly the point I've been dying to make. A couple of studios passed on Clueless because they were very concerned that the main romance that people were supposed to be getting behind was between step-siblings. Now, this might have been all right in 1815 when Jane Austen wrote Emma, but I'm not sure this is appropriate uh in in the 1990s or in even the uh, 1980s I don't, I don't even think they're they're not step
3: they're not they're not siblings at all in the they're original they're not related novel. at all
0: no they're what not actually, in Emma to be fair it's uh, it's her elder. she has an older sister in Emma and it's her older sister's brother-in-law yes yeah yeah,
3: yeah.
0: In, in Emma yeah to be fair but I'm sure it had it been her step-sibling it might have been more acceptable then I don't know but so so how the hell do they get around that one Dave well that's it that's why you know they were saying i mean how charming do you find Paul Rudd first before I go into this? Not not
3: very, i like, Come yeah. on,
1: Alex is not the person to ask that question hey, to Dave. but you asked, know it's. It. I asked I
0: asked, you know, how charming does, does one really find Paul Rudd? And and Alex has given you your answer right
1: there. I would say categorically
3: uh, and objectively, not very charming. Carry on, Dave.
1: Oh Alex is literally the sh- exception to this. Alex is probably <laughs> the only man in, I in existence. <laughs> I, th- these are
3: all
0: points against you, Gavin. You keep this <laughs> <speech>. <laughs> Dave.
1: So you got charmless Paul Rudd
0: on one side. <laughs> you've got the oh, unlikable, wow. the, the unlikable Cher Horowitz. I'm not going to say the unlikable Lisa Silverson. It's not her fault. The unlikable no, I, I, Cher. I, I Horowitz won't allow
3: that, Dave. I well, Absolutely
0: not. <laughs> 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 and the problem, and the big thing, you're supposed to get behind these two characters, and this would be a big enough task as it is. And then you throw into the mix the fact that from the get-go, he's in her house because he's her step sibling. Now, okay, his mom and her father have split, so they are technically no longer step siblings. And they say, and they're constantly making excuses for it throughout the film. It's like, oh, they were only married for a small time. And it's like, oh, we barely grew up together, you know, sort of thing. But he's still there. They're still chilling on the couch. They still have a brother sister relationship where they take the piss out of each other. They wind each other up. They insult each other. It's like looking at two siblings. And that's the relationship as it starts in the film. And then click. They fall for each other, and Weird. I don't know why uh, Dan Hedaya, Mel, Mel Horowitz, Cher's father, is so okay with this. I mean, to be honest, you can see it unfolding before your eyes, and he doesn't do a thing. I mean, maybe he just doesn't care. Maybe he's focused on that case that he's got his head buried in for the entire film, uh, and you never really know what his final outburst is going to be. I mean, I'd imagine it's him throwing Josh out of the house when he finally gets wind of what's gone I on and and the other romances well. I've said my bit on them. Um, the other romances I couldn't really get behind either. You got uh, Ty and Travis. Travis is the guy who she's meant to be with. You can tell that from the start. And I was like, oh, I hope these two get together. And then Ty becomes popular, and she is a dick to Travis. She probably shoots the poor guy down. And he's got a good heart. Sure, he's a bit of a stone skater type, but he's got a good heart. And she destroys the guy in in front of a load of people. No apology. She comes to her senses later, and they're just seen together at a wedding at the end of the film. There's no reconciliation scene. We're just supposed to believe that Travis is such a loser that he'll just take whatever comes his way. And it's like, oh, yeah, treat me like crap. I'll come running back. And there's no reconciliation. There's no apology there. You know, there's no a reconciliation between Ty and Cher. Fine, great, good to see. But how how come she wound up with Travis? There's no explanation given. And, yeah, I quite like Dion and... Um, murray that was his name uh, donald Faison plays yeah I, I quite towards the end of the film i like them but for most of the film you're like why is she with this guy this guy who just calls her woman and asks to borrow money and accuses her of cheating on him and it's like this isn't a very nice couple this this is toxic this isn't a nice couple at all and then you see a little tenderness out of them towards the end of the film and it's kind of like okay i'll allow it but, but still for the most of the film they are in quite a toxic romance so as far as a love film um i'm going to use the word problematic
1: yeah, I mean, there some points well made there. Um, I mean, week, Dave sub... sounded like he was talking from experience. I think Dave's been a, a bit of a Travis <laughs> we'll in not, the past. We'll not, we'll not get into... Dave's still yeah. waiting for his apology. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, not, we'll not dredge
3: up our pers- personal love yeah. histories. Two, like, two points there. So I'll, I'll give it to either you know, Ozzy and Gav, you pick one each. But the two points there. Weak sub-love stories, which needs to be addressed. But the main thing is, considering it's not an original novel why the hell are these two characters step-siblings What what is what is the good reason
2: to have these characters as step-siblings I, no, that one up. so the reason for it is the the director amy heckling it's actually a nod to her own grandparents who had a similar relationship that they were <laughs> so it's uh, <laughs> a it sounds odd, but it's you know it's American, but it's uh, you can put that one in as well, like my uh, my rants uh, <laughs> at Jeff Bezos. I know, yeah. Every week, he's <laughs> getting us into lawsuits or
1: complaints.
2: I uh, know, on, on, on a like on a serious note, so that that's that. Was, she she'd explain that in an interview at the time. Okay, that it, it's it's linked to that because it's not problematic. They're, they're not actually related. They had a similar period of time. They just happened to be that her father. And his mother.
1: Be- bearing in mind, though, that the the, the dad and the mum lived somewhere else at uh, at one point, yeah. so she didn't actually really uh, grow up with with this guy, and they were only briefly married for a, but, a couple of years. These but,
2: these are the excuses they keep making yeah. throughout the yeah, film. But, then, but, well, why? Well, that's, but that's what you can play off, isn't it? Is that, but just the, what happens that they know each other? But w- what what what's the point?
1: I don't I don't get why. I don't get why I make them step siblings. Do you know what I mean? I just don't what, what's the well right, right. as you just said, it was, uh, it was a nod when... to her grandparents who got together in a similar fashion. And also, you know, maybe what, it's a incest? way of saying <laughs> oh, No, because they're not related. They're not related, Alex. No, don't get well, bogged down with fucking incest. It's not okay. incest. It's I, not
0: it's incest ish, isn't it? It's, it's incest, incest- a... it's
1: in the incest bulb. Incest market. light. <laughs>
0: it's like it's like a second cousin <laughs> twice removed of incest, which yeah. probably means it's gonna to get together with incest at some point. <laughs>
1: It's, it's, Wait, it's, it's, it's not no, even it's in the slightest bit anyway they don't even they're share not, dna <laughs> they're not
2: related in the slightest yeah. like it's not okay. like it's her, his son from another marriage it's her son yeah who yeah, just happened to be married to her, her father a lot of it's unusual though It's it's unusual, but
1: but also it's a way of saying that, you know, like, love is, you know, sometimes forbidden.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes Sometimes breaking down the the barriers between... Step siblings and brothers and
1: sisters. Yeah. No, no, not brother. Stop, stop lumping <laughs> incest in with this, Alex, because it's not incestuous. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incestish, incestuous. though. Do you know what I mean? It's definitely incesty. It's not,
2: it's not. It's not. It's, it's not. It's not. at all. They're not related in the slightest, you know. And 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 it's not. Uh, it, it's dealt with very quickly. You know, she okay. explains at the very start of the movie you know, why why is he still coming around here? You know, why do I, Why do you want us to? Maintain a relationship with this guy; he's practically a stranger, you know. You, yeah, he, he's insignificant to us.
1: Exactly, yeah. The
2: Reason he comes around is because he's a good, uh, you know, the father's actually a good guy. He's a, he's a you know, he's a horrible, uh, in terms of a litigator. He's considered to be a very uh, like a scary man. man and a scary man. But he's a lawyer, and Paul Rudd is training to be a lawyer, so it makes sense that he would come round to. Benefit from someone who probably had a bigger impact on Paul's uh on Josh's uh childhood, you know, and, and growth, you know, that period during college because he will have seen him during that period of time, you know. So that makes sense that he would still come around. It's it's very, it's
0: there's a paternal relationship there between him and share's father who paternal, he. little
2: now, Jesus.
1: They're getting involved as well. Uh, so like... He was more like a mentor <laughs> than a parent. So what... he admits that he was a ship parent. So you know, I think he's. I think now maybe it's a case that he was he was a ship parent and a, and a father and a husband the first time round and the second time round and now he's just trying to maybe make amends for that and that's why he's letting Paul Rudds well, letting Josh stay in the house and, and training him up to be a lawyer. Do we see his reaction to their relationship at the end? He is happy yeah. about it because, like, throughout the film, Cher is, you know, she, well, initially this is why she's a really good character. Is the, she starts off by saying, I don't need a boyfriend. You know, she's very independent. And then when she does start dating somebody, it's a character that the dad just doesn't like. He, You know, he thinks that she's changing herself in a in a bad way to try and please somebody uh, who he doesn't really like because he thinks he's a bit of an idiot. However, you know, he, he knows Josh, he likes Josh, he knows that Josh is a really kind and good person and that the two of them would make a really nice couple. Dave? I I don't recall seeing his reaction
0: to, yeah, uh, to Josh and Cher.
2: He looks at them over the table. He watches the the glance, and he sort of gives a little wry smile. Yeah, it's, he gives you know, the old, as as a old wry smile as if to say,
0: "Possible, possible. You he could, have given... please, please <laughs> he could have been smiling <laughs> about a lot. You could have been smiling about it's
2: anything. True.
1: He it
0: could been smiling about anything. I didn't <laughs> even see the smile. It's very subtle if it's there, and even if it is there, as we established, he's not exactly Father of the Year,
3: is he? So <laughs> a little smile, but he he definitely doesn't vomit on the table and say, "Oh my God! Oh my God! What have you done?"
0: that scene <laughs> might have been edited out for all we know
1: gav small thing yeah no just the, the additional romances that, you know the secondary romances they're nothing to get too bogged down and then i think ty going back to oh, what was the character called now dave travis travis Sorry. uh yeah I, I think that's nice because at the beginning she is uh, she's attracted to travis she's meant to be with travis but Cher tries to change and make her popular. She thinks that she does, you know, she feels that she has to be mean. She gets influenced by this this way of life before she, you know, becomes, she realizes there are ways and she essentially reverts back to her original self because she's happy with who she is. The, and the, the other romances, yeah, the, as you said before, their uh, best friends and um, I can't remember, Ma, what was his name? Murray. Murray and Murray. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Brandy and Murray. Uh, they, once again, that shows just a different type of relationship. They're always bickering. They're always like kind of having little insults and pop shots at each other. But at times of crisis, like when Dion accidentally drives onto the freeway and nearly kills them all, you can see when they pull over to one side that the two of them can't, stop, can't take their hands off each other then because they're like, oh, we've just been in that situation. We really love each other. And all of the pot shots and all the gripes and all the bickering, and whatever, it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, what really counts is their feelings for each other.
3: All right. I mean, yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, good. It does seem like the sub stories maybe are, you know, decent enough. Are they performed well, Dave? Like the performances of the actors? You already said Alicia Silverstone. I think you've already said does a pretty good job. Paul Rudd. I feel like we've covered, and me and you know, Dave. Don't worry sure,
0: about yeah. it. <laughs> we do well. <know> <laughs> uh,
3: you know, talking about talking about supporting cast. Uh, how to they fair?
0: For the most part, okay. I think. Uh, I mean, at least your Silverstone, like I said. I actually think she plays this pretty well. It's a shame the character is so unlikable, but she does a good job here. Um, I think Dan is a bit wasted. You barely see him, and he's just kind of a very gruff father figure. It's like basically just, just play a stereotype of a hard-ass litigator who's like struggling to be a father at the same time. And it's like that was pretty much it. And there wasn't really much screen time from him. So although he's okay, the character itself is wasted. Uh, I quite like Stacey Dash, in this, she plays Dion. I thought she was pretty good. Um, Donald Faison, I thought was okay. Um, I'd, I'd say for the most part, the casts are okay. I wasn't a big fan of Justin Walker, who plays Christian, who at one point is the uh, the object of Cher's affections before she falls for a stepbrother. And um, Christian, I think also again, I think it's more the way the character is portrayed more than the actor himself. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna blame Christian Stovitz for this one too much. It's the character. He he has a lot of like. 90s lingo. He has a lot of buzzwords and a lot of catchphrases that, that that don't even make sense anymore. You remember when we watched West Side Story, and there was like all that lingo going on between the street gangs, and it was just kind yeah, of laughable. Yeah. What's now? wrong with that, Adio? Yeah,
3: you see, I <laughs> mean, <he's... Gav>. language. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, for fuck's sake, Gabby. <laughs> I'm clicking Just so hard do, at you yeah, right now. Don't you do it. <laughs> uh, Christian uses a lot of that language, and it does date the film and make it kind of laughable. You know, this is a character you're supposed to be. Uh, Cher's supposed to look to him as like the epitome of cool, the most desirable man in her class. And he walks in there dressed like Fonzie slash with Simon Cowell. You know, it's uh, he, he walks in with like, a black T-shirt, you know, pants done all the way up to his armpits, practically T-shirt tucked in the said pants, sunglasses on even inside. You know, Fonzie meets Simon Cowell. I stand by that. And I think now looking back at it, that might have been cool in the 90s. It doesn't really smack of appeal now. And then you throw into that his language and the lingo he uses, which is. Dated beyond belief. He'd be better off saying, "You're know, forsooth, young maiden," and that would probably have seemed more relevant than <laughs> some of the terms he's coming out with. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's the character more than the portrayal. I'm not going to lay this one at the actor's door, but the characters are the problem. The performances, given the youth and the inexperience of most of the cast, seeing as they were about, I'd say, from 16 to 18 for the most part, I actually think they do a pretty decent job. I'll make a concession on that. It's a shame about the characters they're having to portray.
3: Weak characters, good, you know. Dave's saying they're pretty good performances, but weak characters, Aussie. Especially maybe these sub, you know, sub minor characters. But you know, it all adds up, doesn't it? And if they're all weak, then that's not a good sign at all.
2: Well, I just don't see how how, how that can be the case. So the actress Stacey Dash was nominated for, I think maybe one Best Young Supporting Actress of a Feature Film. Uh, Brittany Murphy, best young supporting actress. Alicia Silverstone, best young leading actress. All for the like the youth awards circuit and the uh, I can called, like awards, community, something or other. Was it the MTV um,
0: Movie Awards at the time, or
2: it could have been? Yeah, but hmm. you know, all of them um, nominated for these things. Uh, like it, it, Alicia Silverstone was got the funniest actress in a motion picture leading role for this comedy at the American Comedy Awards. So. For me, you know, I think it's how can the, the characters can't be poorly written to win these awards? You know, you've got to have a, not only a good, solidly written character as well as a performance to get one of those. You know, to 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 win any award other than a Razzie, and even then, you know, there's got to be something involved for it for it to get on that list. And um, you know, and she didn't win a Razzie until 2006. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I think we can. I, I think we can quite you know, quite convincingly put that to bed, that the characters here are well-written and they're, they're so relatable to teenagers because you can see them. What you don't need is is absolute layers and layers and layers in a short um, rom-com. What you need to be able to do is see a character and understand their motivations almost straight away because you can, you can put them as any one of a, of a number of people.
1: I, I, also, I also think that like some of them are quite well written. I know that Dave had a great with Christian before. I will say, by the way, uh, how Christian is dressed reminded me an awful lot of Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Alex, and... All I'm gonna say is just imagine, just imagine what Dave was saying about Spike. (laughs) (laughs) However, when he's first introduced, he's like this, this hunk, and uh, he's a bit of like a throwback to the '60s. Is a bit like a James Dean character. It's really cool. Fancy meets Simon Cowell, where he's really like cool and mysterious, and then you realise that he's into he's got really diverse characters. He's into like art and flower arranging and chocolates and dancing and music, you know. He's like and old uh, old films as well. So it's not just a case of like he's uh, like a very paper thin one dimensional character because he's got lots of interests. uh, And I just like to massively come back with what Dave said about Cher being unlikable. I think that Cher Horowitz is one of like, the best female characters written of the 1990s. I think she's absolutely incredible. Like As I mentioned before, this could have easily been like a stereotype of a brainless, self-obsessed teenage girl, but it just wasn't the case. In fact, I think it helped like reimagine the Valley Girl, which was something of a bit of a stereotype and was often the butt of the jokes of like 80s, early 90s TV and film. By giving her character more layers and subtle distinctions, So she is rich. And she's a bit spoiled, and she's bratty at times, definitely, but she's also incredibly sweet-natured, thoughtful, and kind. She demonstrates some lack of knowledge or understanding in some aspects of her character, like she calls the Haitians Haiti Runs. Uh, she gets a C in her class, and she fails her driving test. You know, she does a, a number of things that you would say, oh, there's your usual sort of stereotypical air-headed blonde. But she shows great intellect in other areas, such as her extensive conversational and negotiating skills, being able to help out with their father's important case and also knowing Hamlet as well. So she's very sort of like well-read and intelligent in other aspects. The character is just really brilliant, I think. It's not a case of like, she doesn't need a boyfriend. Even when she does get with Josh, it isn't a case that it's because she needs him to feel better about herself. She's very independent. She's very strong and she knows who she is at the beginning, and then she realizes that she wants to develop herself and her character more. As Ozzy said, she speaks to her friends and she learns things from each one of them. And yeah, although she maybe initially does it to get with Josh, she realizes that by developing herself and by learning these things and by becoming a better person, she feels better and happier with herself. So it's all about her growth, as well as her relationship with uh, with Josh developing. So I, I, I wholly disagree. I think she's a fantastic character brilliantly performed by Alicia Silverstone. Fair amount of depth to these characters, it seems like, Dave. Uh,
3: I'd like I'd like you to come back on some of those points, but also then can everyone start to think about their final, final flourishes, and I'd, and I'd like him to be pretty punchy and witty um, from all of you as well. So, Dave, off you go. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I stand by my point that uh, Cher Horowitz is an unlikable character. She is spoiled and entitled, manipulative at times. Everything suits her own gain. It's like a stepbrother slash lover, says to her at some point, he says, <laughs> you. I'm just going to keep dropping that in there. <laughs> As he says so at one point, if I saw you do a one solely selfless act, I think I'd die of shock. You know, th- this is not a likable character. She is a very bratty, unpleasant character. Um, and that's why the, the film, you struggle to get behind the character because of that. It's the characters that are the problem. I don't have a problem with the performances per se, apart from Chalmers, Paul Rudd lest we forget, it's, <laughs> it's the way the characters are written. And there was a nugget there that really could have made this something quite special, you know, because Jane Austen essentially had done the hard work. She'd all, she pretty much made these characters. All um, Amy Heckling had to do was adapt them for what was at the time, the modern day, you know, in 1995. And she missed out on the key points, the things that made this novel the classic novel it was, the thing that made those characters so memorable. The reason why Amy Heckling loved the novel herself, you know, she just, but she wasn't able to adapt it. She wasn't able to bring all the features from the Jane Austen novel into the 1990s. And it's a shame, you know, this film had potential. The cast, I think, are pretty good. The performers were there, queued up, ready to go, much like I said about the Dark Tower. You know, Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey. Casting was there. The casting was right. It was the execution, it was the scripting, it was the characters, it was the way we weren't able to connect. That's where it all went wrong. And while it may have been successful in its day, it doesn't have that rewatchability. It's not going to be garnering any new fans because it's it's, it's too dated, and it's not going to have that same effect upon its audience who once loved it as they have matured and outgrown it.
3: Consigned to the dustbin of history and sprinkled with incest and the charmless Paul Rudd. I'd like final points from everyone, please. I'll, I'll end with Dave because, uh, you know, I, feel, I do feel like he's a bit ganged up on today. So, uh,
1: Gav, can you go first, please? Okay, I mean, Dave argues the character of Cher Horowitz is selfish and unlikable. And he says that Josh says at some point in the film... It even says as much, you know, if if you did a a completely unselfish thing, you'd probably die or whatever. But what Dave didn't say is where this comes in the film. This comes right at the very beginning. The character shows tremendous growth and and development throughout the film. It's, you know, the classic story of of a character who learns to become better throughout the film, like Ebenezer Scrooge, and by the end, they end up a much better, well-rounded individual. But at the beginning of the film, I don't even think she's she's that bad to be honest. Because she's she's just a bit misguided. She thinks that she's doing the right thing, but she doesn't realise that it's not actually the right thing. She's being a bit controlling and maybe a little bit manipulative. And it takes her uh, to actually engage and speak and communicate with their friends and other people to realise this and realise the error of ways. It, this it, we didn't even go into how funny this is. This has got some absolutely hilarious like set pieces and some timeless catchphrases that people still use to this day. This is probably one of the most quotable films of the 1990s. This is an iconic film as well that spawns so many different things, whether it be like music, fashion, like catchphrases, as I said before. This is an iconic film that people are still trying to replicate to this day and people are still dressing as Ozzy said and Ozzy, as Ozzy is dressed now like the characters from that film almost 30 years later. This is an absolute... Comedic romantic masterpiece, and if you put it on the shit list, won't be tired you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> wow, uh, that was so positive, Ozzy. I'm going to change it actually. And Dave, I'm going to let you go next, Ozzy. Since you picked the film, this can be
0: a. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm pretty threatened as well, to be honest. <laughs> I was going to say, surely we should call *Mistrial* the judges. Been yeah, I mean, Dave, Dave, you don't That's what in All the best me. trials. <laughs> you don't personally threaten best. me, Dave. It's
3: uh, it's it's quite uh, quite a gold star for you so yeah yeah yeah.
0: all i'll say i don't need to threaten the judge okay (laughs) he he knows about the charmless paul Road already as far as catchphrases go they are not still in use to this day i mean i just point out that dude where's my car established some catchphrases seminal classic it is not this may well have been intended to be a satire of teenage life and of white wealthy america but films have come along that have done it better than this believe me and films have come along uh, before and after that have made more of an impact and all i'll say is yeah uh you know, groundbreaking teenage comedy as if.
3: Oh. Uh, Ozzie, you pick this on, this is your choice for our season. So come on, Ozzy.
2: Yeah, for, for me, this film, right, this takes uh the the standard like high school comedy and the use of stereotypes. It elevates it above that. The the fashion, you know, it it's satirized, it's stereotyped, and it is parodied, you know, up above another level. Um, so the fashion is iconic and, and these days, the things that are sort of parodied and joked about in there are now brought to reality things that are, it's pushed fashion forward. This virtual wardrobe she has is pushed forward, but this, all of the generic use of high school things in, you know, in normal films, uh, they're made to be like a, to poke fun of, um, of, of the the rich girls in Clueless. The fun's brought up to another level, you know, it's overblown. It's it's just fancier. Um, it it does a great job of satirising rich kids and their problems, uh, and sort of juxtaposes it with the classic heartfelt love story that it's based upon. The sort of story and characters that you know only only a literary great like Jane Austen could could write, and and that's what you've got here: a, a literary great on the screen for a uh, for a timeless movie wow thanks guys
3: some very
1: some very good forget the pole road is fucking charming as ever right (laughs) i've let that slide too long (laughs) how dare you you.
3: (laughs) (laughs) well you've not let it slide now Uh, just to give gav some time to you know calm down a bit Has has someone got a quiz for us to to do Go with joel no, it was you. I no, think okay. it was you. <laughs> We're all doing our own picks. Anyway, wait, wait. oh, I don't. I'm ready that. to go straight into what. I, I'll do a quick quiz. Who wrote the novel that this was based on? Anyone? <laughs> 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 do we need to? <laughs> yeah, everyone wins except Ozzy. Uh, so... <laughs> Sorry, I didn't realize I had
0: to
3: do a quiz. So I apologize. Thanks. Like, right. Uh, no, I'll, I'm ready to go straight into my judgment. I don't need time to deliberate on this one. Um... You know, some really passionate arguments there and some, some, you know, all points really well made. You know, it seems to be very 90s. You know, everyone sort of agreed on that, but we didn't agree on whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. I did have someone recently say that there uh, was like 90s raves being held at the Echo Arena in Liverpool these days. So, actually, I think lots of kids are into it. It does seem like 90s has come round. And it did seem like this was a quintessential 90s movie, which, you know, I mean, I remember and, you know, I'm. A bit excited about watching again, to be honest. To, to you know, to remember what it was like. You know, D- Dave said this, uh, so you know uh, that it's a perfect fit for Emma. You know, the the story itself has been based in Bel Air and stuff like that, no be- Beverly Hills and all of that, does seem to be a perfect uh, fit for Emma. I the biggest sticking point for me is this step siblings uh, shit. I have to say, I just think I didn't get a satisfactory reason why they are step siblings, and I think they probably could have. You know, contrived some reason to have them in the same place, living together, where they're not step siblings. I just think that would have been possible, and the fact that it's based on her family history is is just like it's it's weirder. If if it's it's not less weird, it's weirder. Um, But I would say that it sounds like. However, I don't know how the hell they do it, but they seem to be. It does seem like you can move past it within the film even though it is still weird and it's a weird choice for it to do. Sub-stories seem to be quite simple and quite straightforward, but there did seem to be quite a lot of depth to these sub-stories as well. Um, and it's, you know, everyone sort of said that the cast did a, did, did a pretty good job. And, you know, the, I think it came down to this last point that you're all making, which is about sure. And then as you were talking about Shur, she just seems to be Emma from the story, you know, the, the Jane Austen story. She seems to be, a very good you know emma is unlikable she is you know horrible all, a lot of the way through emma and you know the fact that she starts to work on these things you know she starts to do and she realizes that they're good in and of themselves rather than as like ways to manipulate people does seem particularly just completely like the story of emma so i think that as well the fact that it's a, such a good adaptation of the original novel and it's very set set in the 90s does does make it um I do I do think this is a timeless film and I think a lot of the points rise it above the general rom-com noise that we have when we're doing you know and I'm sure on a lot of the other episodes we do. So even though I still think it's weird, and Dave's right on the step siblings thing, I do think this film is a classic and it's definitely going on the hit list for me. <laughs>
1: Thank you very much for the very good summary there, Alex. Austin, genuine thoughts. Did you, I mean, because uh, you picked this film after not watching it for a number of years, so did it stand up? Because I know that you picked it because you, you originally liked it, but obviously it had been a while since you had watched it, so did you feel the same? I think I'd forgotten
2: enough of it to um, to be surprised when I saw things like the, um, clearly the, the impact that Houndstooth has had upon me. And um, the fashion choices overall, I I I definitely <laughs> do think um, I, I think it's I think it really is a good film. It it is the nineties, you know. The I forgot that the Mighty Mighty Bostones are in it. I just there's so many things about it. You go shit. That was that was pretty much my nineties. And um, yeah, I I, I think you're it, it's on the right list
1: um, and and good choice. Well done. To be honest, I don't doubt that at all. I can imagine you as a young teenage lad having a wardrobe finder yourself. <laughs> like standing into a wardrobe that's like the size of somebody's average house. <laughs> wall of suits. Um, yeah, okay, so I, I was uh, 100% honest. I love this film. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And yeah, I, I do genuinely think it's one of the best 90s films ever made. I I also think it's one of the best films about teenagers as well. And I know that I mentioned a few before, like Breakfast Club and whatnot. I think this is one that is wholly relatable still to this day. And people can watch this at of any age and find something to enjoy about it. So yeah, I I I definitely think you made the right choice there. And this is an interesting one. Dave, what yeah, do hang you on, think? can
3: we all cause this is more than the actual IMDb score. Can we all just spend the time when we guess? Did Dave mean what you saying? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> it's, it's, better, it's better than the IMDb. I think Dave loves
1: this film. Yeah, I reckon Dave loves this as well. I, I, I don't. I honestly don't. know. no, no. no, no there's, there's no way that he couldn't have liked it.
2: I think Dave liked this film originally, and <laughs> because he's had to come at it, uh, um, not you know, with a biased viewpoint. I think there are a lot of things you can see in this if you're trying to be negative about it. Sorry, Dave, what did you actually think of the film?
0: We are very astute about a lot of things, but not so much my thoughts on Clueless. I absolutely loved it. Uh, And I was scraping the barrel trying to find fault with it, to be (laughs) honest with you. I mean, the character of Emma Woodhouse, the only thing they got wrong is when Jane Austen said, "Uh, I'm going to take a heroine who no one but myself will much like that's the only bit they got wrong because she's likable as hell. You know, she's a really (laughs) good character. Really well written, really well performed by Alicia Silverstone. It's a really good film. I mean, I I watched it years ago. I mean, possibly not long after it came out. I think, you know, I watched this and I thought, man, it's all right, fine. Watched it again. I haven't seen it in decades. Watched it again and I loved it. You know, going back to the 90s, I know it is very set in the 90s, but that nostalgia element, having grown up there, you know, growing up in the 90s, it was really nice to go back to. It really yeah. wasn't a nice call back to it. You, you know it's a warm feeling I think you'll get from it. I find Paul Rudd quite charming. Quite. Quite Come on, Dave! Come on! I, 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 I'm just, I'm trying to, you know, I don't want to, I want to hedge my bets. Should I have to prosecute another Paul Rudd film in the future?
1: So... Dave, we all know your opinions on Paul Rudd. Come on, man. I, I, I like Paul Rudd, I really do. But
3: um... it's a good appealing to my, uh, to my, to my reason,
0: though. Well, done, well it? it just when Gav said the ever charming Paul Rudd, I was like. I don't think Alex likes
1: Paul Rudd. You know, <laughs> Alex I'm is, going to play on this. <laughs> Alex is the only person that I've ever met, honestly, that that I know of who likes Paul How many?
3: Honestly, d- I,
1: and, and do you know what? I'd, I'd like to say this, but I bet you do within 30 seconds are talking to people
3: about whether you like Paul Rudd or not. <laughs> I'd say like business meetings when you're in, you know, when you, you're you doing some pretty serious stuff as well, Gav. I reckon you are like, do you like no, do you- <laughs> I
1: mean, like- that's the thing you know, it's it's because I think he, he he's got such broad appeal because he stars in rom coms, he's in Marvel action movies, and also he's in like uh, frat boy comedies like Anchorman. So a lot of people genuinely really like him. So that's why I'm always surprised when you don't. <laughs>
3: He's a bit, he's just a bit Jason Bateman person for me. He's a bit, he's always the guy who's like, I don't mm, say that's you don't weird. like
1: Jason Bateman. And I don't. And he's like, oh. he's not
3: really, he's the straight man while
1: everyone else is being funny. And he's just a bit smug for me personally. Okay. But right, moving on before I get an <laughs> uh, So higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which was Don't Look Up, which garnered 56% and 78% critical and audience views respectively on Rotten Tomatoes.
3: I'd say Clueless is much higher.
1: Anybody else want to hedge their bets? I'm going to say much
0: higher as well. I think it is still influential. Um, you know, <laughs> I d- this is a bit I didn't get to say in my closing argument, um, but I think a lot of people still look to this film for influence. I remember there was a years earlier video which referenced Clueless quite heavily. It's still being referenced. It's still influential. I think it's still popular.
2: Mm-hmm. I think it'll be high. I think it'll be high. I'm sure I saw the, our good friend Roger Ebert giving it like almost four marks.
1: Yeah, three and a half out of four, we gave it. But uh, actually, but it's higher critical, 81%. But it's actually surprisingly lower. Audience, 76%, which I was surprised. Uh-huh. I thought that was going to be in the high 80s, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, well, just to say thank you very much, everyone, for your arguments and for your judgments as well. Really appreciate it. So we're going to be in your ears with this episode on February the 14th. But our next trial is going to be a continuation of our Romcon month, and it's going to be my pick. And... So, this is the thing. I was in a conversation with uh, Dave's girlfriend the other week. Um, we were talking about rom-coms. And she said, you don't like rom-coms, do you? And I said, I love rom-coms. She said, no, you don't. You hate rom-coms? And I was like, no, I do. I do. I, do. I, I love rom-coms. I love all types of rom-coms. I love uh, actually good ones. I love, like, those shit ones that came out in the noughties that were clearly written by men who'd never interacted with women before. I've just got a broad... <laughs> just, just Adam Sandler film? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I've got a broad spectrum of rom-coms, as you can imagine, because you've seen my DVD collection. So when it came to picking a romantic comedy film, I wanted to prove Cat wrong. <laughs> so I've gone with a seminal classic. I have picked Monster-in-Law. <laughs> 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 it shows my broad appeal anyway. So yeah, we're going to be putting the Jennifer Lopez, Jane Fonda, Noughties rom-com, Monster In-Law on trial next, uh, well, I say next week, that's the next film that we're going to put on trial. So that, yeah, that is it. What have we learned? We've learned that uh, Paul Woods is an attractive and charming man who seemingly cannot age. So I'm going to say he's probably definitely a vampire. Yeah. And... <laughs> Uh, If you guys want to listen to any other Films on Trial content, check us out on filmsontrial.co.uk. Follow us on all social media, Films on Trial. Listen to us on all streaming platforms, Films on Trial. It's going to be great. Don't worry about it. So that is it. Clueless is a hit. And we're going to be directly in your ears on February the 28th with Monster in Law. Goodbye. (laughs)
3: Shit, you're still recording, aren't you? Fuck. (laughs) (laughs)
1: There's a
0: few things to be edited out here.